0: Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Hey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. And you know, we're not going to talk about food. Oh, I'm
1: going to work it in there somehow.
0: (laughs) This week, I want to talk about the shared economy and gig workers, because business is changing. It's freaking out old business and old investors. Change always does. It's... Looks like it's one of those things that's just going to happen. We don't get a choice. So, anytime something like that happens, I think there's value in seeing how that's going to affect sustainability.
1: I agree with that. I mean, really, anytime change comes around, it has to be addressed to make sure that it's worth the feathers it's going to ruffle.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, and it already has. So, the first things first, and I always see, yeah, and I grew up thinking or being told that it's not. Shared economy, it's market disruptors because that's exactly what they did. When when these kind of businesses opened up, it completely changed the whole business. Those are business disruptors. Uh, for an example, Tesla. Okay. Tesla is a market disruptor, came in with electric vehicles when no one wanted to do it, and now has forced all the major companies to push towards electric.
1: Okay. So it's kind of like it's injecting like evolution into a stagnant industry, something that hasn't changed and everyone's content with uh, how it's not growing. So someone just rapidly just shakes it up.
0: It's not necessarily that it's stagnant on purpose. I think it's just a, you know, a revolutionary idea comes out, a visionary changes the business. I think we've seen that with the shared economy. We're seeing websites take market share, from large companies and corporations that have had a solid hold on their market share for years and years and years. It's obvious that it's it's embedded. It's taking hold in the United States and I think we have to look at it. I agree. So I mean, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm
1: sorry. I was going to say I agree. I just wonder that is this something that a lot of people are looking at? I mean, is this something that people just know and blatantly ignore? What do you mean? Okay, so there's a lot of things that that happen in the world, especially with sustainability, where you might be aware something's going on, but until someone holds your feet to the fire, it's easy to ignore it. It's easier to ignore it than what it is to actually um, accept the change and uh, make adjustments to go with it.
0: Well, if you're talking about the business side, usually they don't like change whatsoever, and they have to be drugged to the finish line. Okay. I can tell you in automotive, no one wanted to move to electric. Now everybody's pouring every dollar they have into electric because they know it's going there. And that is purely because of Tesla. Elon Musk also did it with SpaceX. That was not a private industry. Very little private industry was exploration like that. It was all parts. We built parts of rockets for Mm -hmm. for NASA or for Russia's Soyuz rockets. So that's a market disruptor. They prove that it's viable. They make the money and everybody starts chasing them. Okay. So they also, well, they proved that it was viable, but I mean, let's be honest when they designed and
1: at this point, I'm going to say perfected the reusable rocket that lands itself. Like that was, uh, that was a market disruptor all on its own. That's amazing.
0: And company after company is chasing it right now, trying to keep up to be a part of that new created industry because it is, it's a newly created industry. It wasn't privatized prior. Okay. So is
1: it true that he has all of his patents open to the public so anyone can use the technology? Not
0: for SpaceX. He did that with Tesla. He okay. opened a large amount of a lar- large amount of his patents because he said the only way electric cars become mainstream is with competition. The other companies didn't want to do it. They they wanted to stay with what they knew. So that's what we're looking at is this change in industry and how it's going to affect sustainability which is better the old system the new system you know for an example electric cars to internal combustion engine obviously it's going to be say i'm going to say it's better to go to electric even though our grid is still broken but it will speed up the grid repair to speed up its our energy revolution and once it does it's it's leaps and bounds and change better than Absolutely. internal combustion i actually watched
1: small interview and it was just a segment of a larger one but it was elon musk talking about the electric car and he said that new car purchases represent about 15 percent of the of the global fleet across the world every year so he said it'll take five to ten years to see a noticeable difference in the day-to-day drivers for like electric cars and stuff like that for the for them to enter
0: the used car market enough to where the average person would see it yeah, and, and I think we talked about that in one of the earlier episodes about how the more that gets into the market now, the quicker it will end up filtering down. So just anybody can have an electric car. Now, there's a boatload of examples, and I've wrote some down of shared economy industries. And you hear gig, the gig economy or gig workers. Those are just the individuals who work in those fields for share economy. So it's really kind of the same Mm hmm. So share economy, for an example, you and I were talking about this like peer to peer lending. Instead of going to a bank, you could apply online to a company, which I used at one point lending club, I was a, I was a lender, if you will. And you could shop online to find uh-huh. other people's loans and fund them. Okay, they didn't have to go to a bank. And they didn't have to do any of the banking stuff. Matter of fact, they could be as honest as they wanted, as negative as they wanted. It just affected, they would have to take a higher interest rate to entice us to invest. So how is that different? Does that affect sustainability in any way, first of all? Um, Okay, so
1: here's my thought process on that. Um, I'm sure it does affect sustainability because ultimately a lot of sustainability uh, goes back to financial, financial. But I lean kind of towards that most things that are digital don't really affect the world as much as the uh, like the paper and the plastics and stuff do so I'm not really sure and I have done no reading because I just learned about this from you on <laughs> uh, the effect that this would have on on like the global economy I will say that if if, if this became more mainstream and people were you know going to banks less and less that would heavily affect the stock market it would affect the economy I mean banks would do nearly as well. But I really don't know. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a financial expert.
0: Well, and okay, so first things first. Anything on the internet has much larger impact than you think. One of the largest impacts or growing impacts towards climate change is Bitcoin. Because it uses so many different pieces of the internet, so many different computers. It embeds information and in just large amounts of area. It is all energy dependent and uses a tremendous amount. So as so we, when we balance this out, we do have to look at the whole thing. Now a lot of banks do their do a lot of their things online. Yeah. If more people went crowdfunding for peer to peer lending, I'm not sure this changes the banks much because you're still not using it as your savings account. You're still probably going to the bank periodically. The banks will just get smaller because they don't necessarily need a lending department. I think what this does is all it does is it proves that you can lend without a person walking in the room. Okay. I mean, paperless, that's good. That is good. But I think that's all it does, which means that banks can shrink a little bit. It does mean less workers in a bank that you can have centralized people kind of like mortgage, online mortgage companies like Quicken are all of their mortgage specialists are online right now. They're all working from home anyways. So, you know, that stuff I think is pretty much the same, at least when it comes to the gig economy to peer to peer lending. I don't see a huge effect, but there are other things that might. For an example, ride shares. Like Lyft and Uber. Lyft and Uber. That has put a tremendous amount of people on the road.
1: I don't doubt that. So you're telling me it's actually increasing the amount of um,
0: emissions? Well, much like taxis, in larger cities, Uber drivers try to sit idling somewhere near the busiest areas because they want to be the closest, the quickest to respond. They want to be able to get those drives often. So sometimes Mm -hmm. people just sit there. It's not like you were sitting at home watching TV and you get a message that says, come out here and go do this and you throw your coat on and go. It's to the point now where they're just like a taxi driver. They're just hanging out in their car.
1: Yeah, you're right, because I know a guy who who does that, and he goes to the airport, and they've got a special lot they wait in, and they go in order, and he just waits there for his app to ding, saying someone you know needs a ride, and he clicks on him, claims it, and goes
0: and picks him up. Yeah, and because he's close, he's getting those dings quicker than someone who's further away. And that is one thing I had not anticipated before was – It's just putting cars on the road. Now, granted, that person could have been someone who would have drove, or Mm -hmm. these are people who could have taken mass transportation, which is by far better. Uh, Well, it is in terms of emissions. I mean, it it, you know you're
1: you're using the same amount of gas. Maybe you're going to so many places, but you're taking everyone with you, so it's definitely a minimal versus you know fifty cars on the road at one time.
0: Well, and then there's also another side to look at, Mm -hmm. which is. If rideshares were cheap enough because they were available, do you buy a car? And if you, if that answer becomes no, that changes all the math. Well,
1: yeah. And
0: usually, those those
1: rideshare companies are really prevalent in large cities. Where not when I say large cities, I don't mean covering a great amount of land. I mean the amount of people and businesses that you know are in them. So generally, when that is the case, or like where you see taxis, you only go in a couple blocks. You don't really need to own a car to drive five blocks, personally. So that would make sense. And often, like when I lived in Chicago, you could actually get pretty fair apartments downtown. Like they weren't horribly priced that you'd think they'd be for being in a large city. But where they got you price-wise is you also had to rent a parking space for your car if you had one. Oftentimes, that was double what the apartment cost. Mm -hmm. So it would just make more sense to use a taxi or a Lyft or an Uber or whatever the most financially efficient method was.
0: Well, and it makes me wonder because I have a relatively newer vehicle. Okay. So, you know, so it's not the smallest of payments, but I wonder if I, if I wasn't driving to work, which I'm not right now, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder how much the few places I do go during quarantine, what would have been cheaper? I wouldn't be paying insurance or my truck payment. And in, in some situations, if you, you know, they're talking about working from home pretty permanently. Mm-hmm. Even if it was you come to work one or two days a week, I could quite literally swap off and on with the wife or even rent a vehicle cheaper than that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I I
1: think that years ago, people were centralized around cities and so there was less vehicles because they didn't need them. Not because it wasn't a matter of want. It was just they didn't need them, so they didn't need to use them. And those kinds of situations are few and far between. Nowadays, everyone has one, two cars, maybe three cars or more. It would be nice, like especially for your family. If you guys only needed one vehicle, you didn't need more than one. That would be nice. Personally, I think it would. I don't know if we'd ever get by over here with that because our, the way our work is, it's different directions
0: that we need two, But um, I think that'd be good. But we're seeing because of COVID-induced environment, and, I, and it's not to say that won't change four years from now. Mm-hmm. or five years from now. Humans tend to forget their pain after a pretty short period of time. We'd like to make the same mistakes over and over again. There's a chance that we just go back to the way it was and it is what it is. But mm-hmm. in a COVID-induced world, we travel less. We we move shorter distances. We move around less. Could we ride share? Could it get to a point where ride share becomes the primary and there isn't a lot of purchased vehicles for home? I think that'd be nice. I mean, I'm not sure what that would do to some of the industries,
1: but I think that in terms of the amount of emissions that are going into the air and stuff, it'd be good for the environment.
0: Well, it's good for it's good for emissions. It's good for transportation budgets. It's good for the infrastructure. There's a lot of other things that you don't have to work on as much when there's less travel. You don't need as many roads when there's less travel. So there's a, there's even more that goes along to a... Lack of production and vehicles. So that's a reduction of vehicles being produced Mm -hmm. and all the maintenance that goes along with it. I think if it evolved further, it could really be a benefit. But as of right now, it's just putting more cars on the road.
1: Yeah, and also though I, and this maybe I'm reaching for this, but if that were the case, you would see a reduction in new infrastructure. Because sometimes infrastructure solely exists, like to put in roads and stuff like that, it may not need be needed. I mean, to be honest, and not not to the degree that what it really is. I know that there are some places where we're always going to need to have big trucks going through for deliveries and stuff like that. But um, anyway, we can reduce and and you know letting the earth know we were here. It's probably a good thing to try.
0: Well, and I think that if it gets to a point, and again, we're going to do a whole episode I've got scheduled for automation, but that's another thing is that if you can just get a car on demand and only use it, only pay for it when you use it, chances are it's cheaper than owning one in most cases. I
1: I bet you it'd be cheaper than just having the insurance for one. I mean, for some of us, for you, probably not, because you probably pay a really nice rate for insurance. But like, I think we pay like three or four grand a year for PLPD on three cars, and if we could only, if let's say Heather had a driver and I just needed to use a car to go to town two or three days a week and it was like 25 bucks a pop, $75 or whatever it is might seem better than what I'm paying right now.
0: Well, and I don't think it's even going to be that much. I think because drive, especially when it becomes driverless then you're oh, not yes. actually paying someone. It's just the cost of the vehicle. And it just shows up, it picks you up, it takes you somewhere and it's $10. How, how
1: cool would that be to have like a subscription service that you pay just a monthly rate, like $200 for like a car on demand anytime you need it. You just have to schedule it in such and such amount of time. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even have a, I, I wouldn't even own a car if that were if that were possible. If, if renting a car was like Netflix, right? Just go to my menu, <laughs> I want that one. A punch in the time. That'd be great.
0: That is exactly where we're headed. I'm and, down. And when it gets to there, there will be benefits, especially for sustainability. On top of the fact that its it avoids traffic because these are all GPS-driven units that know what the traffic looks like because they all talk to each other with smart systems and just don't take the busy routes. So there mm-hmm. is never traffic. There is no stop and go. There is no clog on the expressway because they just take different routes. Okay. Yeah, I think that'd be amazing. So in the same case, so that's Lyft and Uber. We still have that with rideshare and car rental because you can do Zipcar. Get around is another app where people can actually lease out their vehicles. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. There's several, and I think that the more things that are quote-unquote shared, the better. I've always I've always wanted to open a. Uh, it's really called a library, but it has every tool you can think of. It has every cooking tool, large, expensive, anything that's large and expensive. I would like to have it so that it can be checked out. So someone oh. pays 20 bucks a month to be part of the library and they can check out all the expensive tools one at the time that they want as needed. That'd be awesome. You know, so it's, and there are places like that in larger cities. You know, I just need a skill saw. I don't need to own a skill saw. I need to make two cuts. Well, you go rent a skill saw for $9 or something. Make your two cuts and don't keep it. It goes back to the same spot so someone else can use it. And a new saw doesn't need to be produced. That's awesome. That's actually a great idea. That well, may think, be the best idea you've ever had. Think about Airbnb and how how that has affected uh, hosp- or, say hospitals. Hotels. Uh, I guess if it's shady areas, maybe hospitals. But primarily hotels have been... Devastated by Airbnb. Uh, We have a friend who owns a cabin up north and she's
1: got a list of Airbnb. And they go through, I think it's in January or there's a certain month they go through and they mark off all the dates they plan on being there. And it's on the market the rest of the year. And they make a boatload
0: of money off renting that thing out. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Every time someone stays there, they're not at a campground, they're not at a hotel, they've chosen that place. So when I start thinking about that, how does that affect sustainability? Well, now we are using structures that need to be used that aren't usually being used. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You know, but our what's the energy profile for that place over a year versus a Hilton versus what's Indiana? the water usage? Because
1: what I I mean that's a huge one.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think I think over time, if I had to guess, we're going to see smaller and smaller hotel chains. You know, instead of having three hundred rooms, we're going to start seeing a hundred rooms. We're going to start seeing 50 room hotels because a lot of the Airbnb cost is still up and the hotels are going to have a hard time competing if they can't get regulation pushed through.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. What do you mean regulation, though? Like trying to stop that from happening?
0: Yeah, like New York. I think it was three years ago, New York tried to stop Uber and Lyft by passing labor laws to help the taxi services.
1: But what do you mean labor laws? Because taxi services don't really have any guidelines they go by.
0: Well, no, taxi services, I have a very highly restricted and regulated labor service. Lyft and Uber had none. It was purely by contractor. So they don't have to offer health insurance. They don't have to help, you know, anything. In the very beginning, they didn't have to do safety checks. It was nothing. Taxi services were suffering dramatically because everybody took an Uber. It was cleaner. It was more comfortable. It was, you know, people were trying to make you happy. You had a half dozen chargers for your phone waiting for you. It was now. You didn't fight over it because this one is here for you. And it really disrupted New York. I did not know that. So now you have hotel companies trying to do the same, trying to find a way to get regulation, to force Airbnbs. I think there's home exchange, some other ones that allow you to lease out your own home, a bedroom in your home, a couch in your home, whatever it happens to be. And they're trying to find ways to regulate that. I think if they don't, we're going to see the end of most hotels like we're used to. You think so? I think what you start seeing is shrinking, a shrinkage of the buildings and footprints, because there's just We went through an era where everything had to be the biggest, everything we have the most rooms, but if no one's staying there, that is not a positive. Well,
1: I think that, and I could be wrong. I'm just throwing a brain dead idea out here. I think that with the big hotels, I think that the amount of rooms in them is to offset or try to equal out the price of the amenities that the hotels offer. Because every time a hotel brings out something new and great, that's wonderful. That's a huge extra cost. Just just to offer it to the people that are paying to stay there, whether it be a nice restaurant or a, a lav- like a really like wonderful spa or they're attached to a casino. So they probably just keep adding more rooms to make sure they're going to cover everything. They don't want to ever be losing money because that's a huge business to lose money on.
0: Right. And I think they're taking a beating with the Airbnbs and, Well, you and I were talking about going out West Michigan this summer when everything kind of lightens up and we can feel a little better about going and doing a foodie weekend. Absolutely. I love to eat. And the the first thing I said was, is we'll get an Airbnb so everybody can stay at the same place. I'm down. That sounds like a wonderful idea. And Heather loved that idea, too. it, It is because I've done it for For my friend Melissa's wedding, we all got an Airbnb. We all stayed in the same place. We did do some separate things, but we all came back together several times a day, and it was a great time. Hotels can't really give that to you. We can all have different hotel rooms. We can all sit in the lobby. But with the Airbnb, we found a nice big cabin on a lake. We could sit there and watch the ducks outside, and we came inside on the screened-in porch and had big dinners, and it was great sounds amazing. And I don't think hotels can compete with that stuff. You don't? Mm -mm. Unless they find a new way to evolve. It's going to be, I really think it will end up being buildings that aren't being used get used. And that leads me into office space stuff. Uh, WeWork, for an example. Rented space is another way we're going to shrink cities. And I think this is going to cause some serious reduction of energy use, especially because a lot of workers can still work from home, and that is like WeWork owns property, so they get a building. Mm-hmm. and Any company can rent out of it, and it's and it functions as if this company owns it. Everybody who comes in for whoever has a room has the feeling it's their building. They have they are they based out of California? Start in California? I, I'm not sure. I
1: seen podcast or a live stream from Kevin Smith, where they walked into this building in California, and it was tremendously huge, just massive. And it was nothing but a ton of empty rooms, a conference rooms mm-hmm. where you, when you, when you go and you sign in or you, you sign up to rent a room, you tell them what you need, the amount of space, how much data it needs, what amenities, what it needs to to a bathroom, blah, blah, blah. How long you're going to be there. You pay by the hour and they you get there, you get a key card and it, it only opens your room. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I never knew they did that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can do that and you see it in even Flint. Mm-hmm. there's there's uh, shared workspaces a lot of times they'll call them think tanks the University of Michigan has a alumni think tank the no idea. I've thought about it here locally in Durant if I had a building with a handful of office spaces that I weren't using I mean lawyers wouldn't have to have their own space or meet someone at a McDonald's they could actually meet in an office that would be amazing and that would make them look a lot better yeah. And it is an industry that makes it so you don't have to own a building. You can run a full blown business, be as professional as you want to be and not own a building. That's fantastic. It reduces the need of ownership, the need of new buildings. We can all share space.
1: Well, I think that's functional in the sense that I believe that there is an immense amount of overhead wasted in maintaining or even renting a building. Now, I'm not saying that not that no industry needs one. There are lots of different businesses that benefit from having a building. Some things like car washes and that kind of stuff, which are sustainability nightmares, have to have a building. But like my wife being a medical coder, they now the company she works for works out of the boss's house. They're saving well over $1,000 a month that they were spending to lease a building. Mm-hmm. That is a tremendous savings when you're running the business. You know, you have a small business, a couple of employees, and you're looking at a four figure saving a month, you know, a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, that that's another employees payroll that you could hire at the end of a year. That's a lot of money.
0: Yeah. And let's say they needed to meet a client. Well, then they mm-hmm. rent a shared room and they meet their client in a professional atmosphere without the need of actually owning it. That's amazing. You can see how some of this stuff is going to filter back. You can see how some of this stuff is going to affect the overall sustainability. I never
1: considered some of it. Now I I've been interested in Lyft and Uber for a long time in the sense that anything that allows me to make money because I like, I mean, I, I like getting paid, I think is really interesting. I just never seen the allure to them because I didn't feel that you could make enough money. And A lot of those things also are like Grubhub and DoorDash that facilitate restaurants that never had delivery to now be accessible to a whole nother demographic of customers.
0: Oh, is that uh, food? Are we talking about food?
1: I told you I was getting it in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I told you it was coming. Well, and see, uh, and that that is good for business because it gives them another avenue, but it puts another car on the road.
1: Yeah, I, that that's you know I guess it's a give and take. It's good for some people, bad for other ones. Uh, but I never considered the the impact it would have in that regard. And also, I when I think about like sustainability, I'm trying really hard to keep it fresh in my mind that it is a global thing. It's not just you know secluded to us here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the world, and that's. It's hard for me to keep that in mind. You know, I, I, I think about it locally because I live in a beautiful state where there's tons of resources that I want to see maintained and kept. We're not the only place that has that, though. It's not, the, it's not just our responsibility.
0: No, and that's why we're having this conversation. Because I got to tell you, with the gig economy or the shared economy that's it's so young, I don't know if anybody necessarily has an answer. I haven't read a lot of studies on on, on the impacts of these things with sustainability. But we should be talking about it. And it's an uncomfortable discussion because there's lots of holes in our knowledge, and I'm not a hundred percent sure the answer, but it has to be a conversation.
1: Yeah, and and one of the things, the key factors of making that conversation uncomfortable is the fact that you're really discussing you're discussing something that can influence someone else's income, regardless of being the business owner that is getting business from those, like like the shopping ones we talked about, or the food ones we talked about, or you're discussing it by means of the drivers who are using those you know, those companies to make extra money. So those conversations are going to be uncomfortable. But I I do believe that in life, if you feel nervous and a little uncomfortable with what you're talking about, it's probably a conversation you need to have. I mean, the hard stuff generally is the most necessary.
0: Well, and most sustainability things can be filtered back to an income and you have to be able to have that conversation. And we're recording this in a time where half of the... Half of Americans are freaking out about a pipeline cancellation and the other half are cheering.
1: I think that you're right for starters, but I think that in regards to that, the half that are freaking I think it's more than half that are freaking out. I just think that two are freaking out for very different reasons. And the ones that are cheering are happy, you know, for the environment and they're happy for the reduced risk of what, it, what it's already been doing to the area it goes through, and then the ones that are freaking out are freaking out because of money. And some are just freaking out because it's not their team. So they're angry. So it that's a real loaded topic.
0: <laughs> well, but it's the same thing. When we talk about sustainability, pipelines, I mean, pipelines are a big deal when it comes to environmental protection and water safety. Yeah. And which is a major security need for the future is water. Because I've also learned that water is likely to go on the commodities market. Which I'm not a fan of, but what do you mean by that? Like you can get soybeans on the com- commodities market, you can get, you know, pork on the commodities market. The it's a stock market measure of how well an industry is doing. Which means we're selling so much water at a cost. Someone believes it should be on the mark on the stock market. I really wish
1: someone would introduce leg- legislation that would that would stop that. Personally, I don't believe that. Okay, I. I don't like the notion of selling water. I understand people sell drinking water, but I think they get it too easily and it really bothers me. I'm not going to get into details because to be frankly, I don't know the details. I just know that I shouldn't be able to go into Meijer and buy 32 bottles, individual bottles of water for $3. Like, yeah, water is great, but... In terms of sustainability, that's a mollywop to the environment. That's horrible.
0: Oh, and they and they actually take ink and print on the bottle. It says "taken from a tap" right on the some, bottle.
1: Some of them. It's either taken from a tap or the ones that are from a natural spring. Blah blah. I don't even care. It, but I mean, it's thirty-two bottles, which means it's thirty-two wrappers, it's thirty-two lids, and it's, ah, uh, my. <laughs> I'm gonna
0: get. It. See, I'm so happy. I, you have brain cramps now when you walk through grocery stores when you see certain things brain cramps oh no that's anxiety is what that's it's right it's rage
1: induced <laughs> it's rage induced by ignorance and stupidity i you know what i hate more than anything in the world and is that people will drink water out of a bottle like it's the greatest thing in the world but they won't drink it out of a well now i understand that a lot of wells don't have Great water, but I'm here to tell you a lot of springs don't either. And just because water is coming out of the ground doesn't mean it's better than other water coming out of the ground. Now, there is cleaner water for sure. However, if you're going to have the conversation with me about like why you only drink certain brands of bottled water for certain reasons, I'm going to tell you you're an idiot because you're paying for something you need to stick. You're paying for water. How long until they bottle air? They well, no, no, I know, but I know that, but how long until it becomes mainstream? See if people walking around, you know, hitting a can of air going, This has got thirty-seven percent more oxygen, like that's ridiculous. While I was in
0: Grand Rapids. You're
1: gonna make me cry. Okay.
0: At the at a Walgreens, at the end of the line at the register, the impulse item was canned oxygen. Would you like a uh, can of oxygen today?
1: Did you walk into a scene from Spaceballs
0: too? <laughs> Perry air? we're at that point we're ruining water and we're not ruining water. Cause water is one of those things that can be reconditioned back to its original state. There isn't a best clean water, clean water is clean water. Mm-hmm. But what we've done is we've ruined the confidence in water. And you know, that living next to Flint, like I know from living in Flint, even today in Flint, Michigan, yes, mm-hmm. the, it is not leaded water at the moment but they never put a person in charge of DPW afterwards. So they've Mm -hmm. had main breaks on a regular basis. It reduces pressure, creates bacteria, and you're supposed to send out boil warnings. They have not.
1: There is a flyer that hangs in the dining room at MTA from 2014 or 15. And it's just saying that the water is safe to drink there. And it's been there for, I mean, well, it's 2021, so you can do the math. And people stop there and they read it every day come up to the window, read it, and then ask me for a bottle of water. And I say, I don't have bottle of water, which is like a glass of ice water. And then they look at me like I'm offering them poison. I go, I don't want lead poisoning, and they walk away. This is a daily conversation. At least once, it's ridiculous. And no watch me drink the water. There is excellent. They'll watch me drink it. It's fantastic. It's filtered, sure, but I mean, it's not bad. It's not bad in the way that you have been led to believe. I'm not, and I know there's places in Flint that still have terrible water. I, I'm just there is no concise direction with the information there, and that is. I really kind of feel like that's kind of true with sustainability all around too often. It's like fire and brimstone. And it's not really that. It's not that severe of a decision. Is it important? Absolutely. But you shouldn't feel like you're putting your life on the line. If you,
0: do you, do you understand where I'm going with this? Yeah, like, and that's why they asked for that bottled water, because there is no confidence. If you go to the West side of the state, PFAS contamination from Wolverine uh, boots, If you go to Pennsylvania, fracking has uh, put so much gas in the water, you see it on YouTube flammable. Go Go grab a glass and take a drink out of the Flint River. Go take a drink out of the Erie. What we've done is ruined the confidence that we can maintain water so that we could sell it. And air is next if we're not careful. So, and we've gotten off topic. Here we are bottle rocketing off to the left. Cause you get, if I start talking about water, I'll be stuck there forever. And maybe this just needs to be an episode of water at some point, but uh, yeah, it's it's all consumer confidence. It's, it is a mess, but anyways, let's let's get back to the gig economy stuff. Like there are another, another thing I found while doing the research that was interesting and that, and I knew about this because I have family members who use Upwork and Fiverr. You know what those are? No, I don't. If you have a skill, a freelanceable skill, you put your skill online and someone finds you and uses you. So well, we have a family it. member who's an author, who's a writer. Uh, mm-hmm. the 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 one that's not me. The <laughs> and honestly yeah. the better writer of the two of us but <laughs> but he goes on there and constantly picks up jobs to write and he, he you know it it might get to a point someday where that's what he does. Because he's so darn good at it and so efficient at it, he can just sit there and knock out all these different things for all these different prices and get paid out. But that's another gig economy thing is that you can put your skill online. If you're a web developer, if you are a writer, if you write music, if you make if you make music, you can put your skill on there and someone will, will, will subcontract you. I've never heard of that app. What was the other one you said? There's Fiverr okay. and there's Upwork. Those are the two I know of. I'm sure there's I- more. Huh,
1: that's cool. I love that these industries are popping up mm-hmm. successful, and I, they're all online. Mm-hmm. That is, you had mentioned in that previous episode that one of the greatest things was the digital storage of media. I feveringly believe, and the same thing for for like job hunting and that kind of stuff. Like the fact that you know our online industries are doing so well, and that the ability to connect and network with people and your fields whether it be hobby, profession, passion, whatever it is you're looking to do is so simple now and so effortless. I think it's wonderful. And I think that in terms of like old fashioned things like newspaper articles and driving from place to place to fill out a 35 page application, I'm happy those days are gone.
0: Yeah, and I think in the in the overall scheme of things, as mm-hmm. I'm looking at this, and we're really kind of brainstorming it together right now when I don't get sidetracked on water. right? As these grow... And I am a big fan of the, I, I, the digital freedoms. You and I have a show. And no other time in history would you and I have a show. We can right. have a show because it is readily available. Anchor will host us. There's, we don't have to worry about cost and all these things. We have a headset. We've got a computer. We've got a Wi-Fi connection. And we've got Anchor to host it. The rest is our effort. The, the, this change in the world... I think is overall going to be a net positive, not only for the long-term view of sustainability, because I think people will be able to make better choices. They will learn more. They'll be able to do more from home, which means it frees up their time. For an example, I used to work an hour away when I had to drive to work. Two hours of my day was useless. I would use it to call everybody and just say hi and stuff like that. But I mean, all in all intents and purposes, it was useless. I agree with that. And my boss knows now that he gets that time back. Like my commute is up a ladder. It doesn't take me very long to go from bed to work. And he gets that time for, for function, not me just driving.
1: Oh, that commute time is real long. Especially when you stop to use the restroom.
0: There is a restroom on the way. And sometimes I do.
1: (laughs) You should put a little. You should put a little stand in the restroom with a Keurig on it, so you can turn it into a gas station. <laughs> I know. I know. I said. I said the terrible words. I said Keurig. That means K cup. That means I'm gonna get hung from a tree and beat with a sustainability stick later.
0: Ooh, ooh, I had. I had to replace our coffee maker because it decided the one that we had wanted to make the coffee not go in the pot but out the bottom across the counter. And so, how did you manage to break the seal on that? I drink a lot of really strong coffee is all I can think of. I don't know. I I don't necessarily know. But I did finally replace the coffee pot, and it doesn't even take filters. It has a washable, reusable filter. Did you get a Ninja? No. This is not a fancy one. This is a very middle-of-the-road brand I've never heard of. has a cone-style filter that I can take out, dump it, rinse it off, and put it back in.
1: Bam. Those are awesome. My, uh, my ninja came with one uh, when I got it and it was the greatest. It was so awesome. I, I, what I like about it is exactly what you said, but also that it literally is as simple as just you, I would just tap it on the, end, on the edge of the garbage can. I'd take the sprayer, rinse it off and it was ready to go. It was great. It was, we went through way less coffee filters.
0: Yeah. I, well, I have none. I don't need any coffee filters. That is, for me, a win for a guy who drinks a pot of coffee a day is a a filter a day. That in itself was a win. As much as I don't like to replace things, that one was definitely worth replacing. So as long as it lasts a long time, I'm minimizing my footprint. And they make good coffee too. So advantages to the gig economy. I think one of the biggest ones we're going to see is that you only pay for what you use. That's going to reduce ownership in time. And granted, we're going to have people on this who are our age or older going, I am not living a life without a car. I am not living a life without owning this or owning that. But our kids, they're not going to care. Well, I will say that you you
1: just hit the nail on the head. The biggest change that is going to be needed for this or to really embrace it is the change in culture, the change, in culture the, the change of I've got to have it, it's mine, or I can't live my life without this. I've been seriously considering ever since we talked about bringing up the media again, getting rid of all of my movies, like making a list of ones that I really want, downloading them onto like a flash drive, or maybe if I can stick them on Google Drive, that'd be awesome. And then just getting rid of them because I have so many and I don't need them. They don't, they don't serve a purpose. I don't buy movies anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's not something that I really feel like I need to have. And as this goes on, as I learn more about this, I'm realizing that there's a lot of things that I've wanted over the years and I've had it because I've wanted it, but it serves no purpose. And I've wasted money on something that takes some space on a shelf or in a box
0: where you can get some of that money back by getting that to a person who will use them. Cause right now, you just have them. If you're not using them, you just have them. And if you, let's say, sell those to someone who will use them, you have your income or a portion of your income back and those get used, which means that there's other stuff that they would have bought new that they're not going to buy new now because they have them.
1: Yeah. And that's true. That's that's really hard, especially someone like me that, to break those habits. I'm, I've been so heavily in engrossed with pop culture my whole life that the idea of not having this stuff and a lot of it i only had it on a whimsical note like oh man i can't wait to play that game again so i go buy everything i need to play a certain game and i play it for like one night for two hours and then it it just sits there mm-hmm. and i wish mm-hmm. i could do pictures on this podcast you, you believe the crap <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so you you're starting to see kind of like where it's going i think that shared economies and gig economies are the very beginning of humanity caring about experiences and not about things. It's the beginning of that separation anxiety of not owning a car until your neighbor doesn't own a car and his life seems to be better. It's, it's just that change. You have to go through it. And, and again, I'm not much better. I love my truck and I wouldn't want to get rid of it. But as time goes on, that may change as things become cheaper and more available
1: well and
0: yes and and may honestly be
1: the opposite one of the da- one of the only downsides to the pipeline you and I were talking about is that gasoline will go up since we both drive pickups even though yours is far more fuel efficient. If gasoline goes up, driving my truck becomes more of a hassle. I mean, it feels the same obviously, but like if gas right now is $2 a gallon, then it goes up to three or four or whatever number could possibly be in the future. That makes driving my truck very expensive and it's already bad enough the economy. So the one allure that I did have where it was cheap transportation is now gone.
0: Right. So one of the major advantages I see from this discussion is you only pay for what you use. When this flushes out and develops more and more. It's going to become one of those, you only pay for what you use scenarios, at least in these industries. Another one is, is that people who want to make extra money can use a skill in the time that they have by choice, either by driving or shopping for someone else from shipped or my extremely you know intelligent and talented stepbrother who writes. He can do that all day long and compensate for anything to, that he wants to buy. Another thing is, is I think when you get into gig economies is, for an example, your cabin up north for your friend, maybe they wouldn't have bought that cabin. Maybe they couldn't have afforded that cabin to just go up there three times a year. But since they're leasing it out, it pays for the cabin. They don't have to actually pay for the cabin anymore. It opens opportunities for people who maybe never thought about having properties or or buying things. Now they have the ability to own it and not pay for it. So a little against the ownership early part discussion, but it does open doors for other people. It's not just business owners and rich people buying up things. Well, no,
1: and it, but it, and like you just kind of touched on, it allows for people to enjoy things without having to own it too. And I, I think that that's awesome. I, I never really thought that deeply into any of this stuff
0: before. Uh, the last piece that I had written down was it will help build the community the more people from the community serving the community is more people from the community meeting each other, getting to know them as a person, not just an avatar online or a, an opposing political foe. These are just a person in the back of the car. You know, I have
1: for a long time felt that that somewhere along the line, social media had become made us as a society become more antisocial. And not to say that it affects everyone like that. You don't see it so much in older generations, but I, there's a lot of people now that don't really understand the meaning of what a community should be. In my opinion, I fervently believe that the strength the moral integrity or the, the moral fiber that you're, the, the stronger your community is, the better everyone else is. Off, oh, If you live in a close proximity to other people, it just makes sense to be well acquainted with them to help each other out. There's a Mm -hmm. reason why for a long time, everything was, it takes a village because it did. And maybe that's not always relevant, but to some degree it is. If you want to save your environment, you need a community. You can't just do one person. You know what I mean? Like If you live in a place that has like, a stretch of road that's covered in garbage. Yeah, you could go out there every day and pick everything up. and It'd be commendable It'd be wonderful. But it'd be a lot faster if 25 other people did it with you. So I, I think that the online avatar stuff in some cases is good. But in a lot of other cases, I think it's really kind of hurt what we're going for here.
0: Well, and so right now, when it comes to sustainability in the eyes of shared and gig economy, I'm hoping that this draws conversation from others, that, that listeners Send us their ideas because this is just us brainstorming because it's pretty new and together, you know, to think of it as a sustainability topic. And the more people who talk about it, the more we're all going to learn, the more we're all going to understand how this is going to change. Because I only have so much of a view. You only have so much of a view. When everybody brings their view together, we get a much better picture of what reality looks like. So if you're listening to this, let us know. Because it is going to be one of those situations that we're going to have to talk it out because I don't know if there is a right answer yet.
1: I I don't think there is. I think think someone else's right answer is going to be the wrong answer for someone else because this includes so many different aspects of different industries and ideas and, and something that needs to be debated and talked about in depth for sure.
0: Well, that's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, let us know. Send us a message on our Facebook page or group. Leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. These reviews comments, those are how we get found in the search engines, which means the more you do it, the easier it is for others to find this podcast. As always, we appreciate you for listening. We appreciate your support. And remember, we only have to get a little better than we were yesterday. Little bit, little bit, well, it always results in big bit. Thanks again. I'm Mike, and I'm Nick, and we'll see you next week.